Welcome to the Coventry Podcast here on AppleSports.com. His name is Mitch Light. My name is Braden Golf. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Rate, review, subscribe, buy magazines as well. AppleSports.com slash store. You can buy them there. Uh, still on newsstands, we've got pro football magazines. Fantasy football magazines are on sale as well, so it's never too early to start preparing for those drafts, Mitch. Those are on newsstands. All of that stuff, all that good stuff can be purchased now. Yes, and please do. i got a question for you. Mitch Light at Athlon Mitch at Braden Golf. Follow us on Twitter as well. How do I look? Normal? You look pretty normal, yeah. Okay. You look like you got a haircut. I did. I, I, I was wearing, wearing a shirt that I've seen you wear probably for nine years, though. Yeah, well, it's actually about two years old. Okay. Do I look like I'm low in iron? I don't know what one looks like. When I know. Low in I iron. try. I gave blood this morning because I'm a good person. I give. That's why I tell myself like, okay. I can do other things. I feel like my blood is too dirty. To if, do that. if I give blood, I can do other. Th- I can be mean to you because I oh. give blood. That's my it's rationale. The karmic balance of the of the day. So I've given blood probably like twenty, thirty times in my life, and they 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 prick you and they test your iron and it they, like beeped. It's got to be over thirteen. Like it said, on the it basically scale. said you're a broken human. Yeah. So then they did it again. And my iron was too low. Like I said, I've done it like 30 times, and it's never been too low. And So this is the lead on our podcast today is yes. your iron levels. It's important to me. My iron level was low. Okay. So do I look? No, you look great. Okay, thank you. How's my blood look? Can I, you tell? Fine. I, I don't know. You know what? Our audience it's cares deeply June, about this. It's June 28th. <laughs> if All I right. want to talk about my iron level, I'm going to talk about it. So big show plan for you guys today. We're really done, excited, we're done, right? Really excited about the podcast today. Very excited, um, and got a couple of things. Uh, revenue distribution is out for all of the six, uh, the five big power leagues. We'll get to that coming up uh, as well. We've we've got sort of a, we've never really done an official mailbag podcast. We may we'll probably do one later on this summer, and we're very excited about that. But we like each other. And we like our own opinions. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we're going to do our own internal mailbag, essentially, where I just want to know what you think about something, Mitch. Brayden just from East know. Nashville has a question. <laughs> right. Mitch from Bellevue, Mitch from wants, Bellevue to wants to know. So we'll just, we're, so we sort of have, and I don't know what your questions are. You don't know what my questions are. So we sort of have like a, a random mailbag uh, between each other, which is sort of just like we're just turning our college football fandom loose on each other, so to speak. So here's we'll, the do way, that, no, we'll do it, that a little bit also, later on. Here's the, the way the show, that right? I, I pitched it to you. Sort of like you have a radio show. I go on radio shows as a guest. What if we didn't know each other and you had Mitch from Athlon My on life your radio would be show? so much better. So, you would be... So much better. Spe- you would... You would you would I mean, Gabe's life would be... Your son's life would be far less enriched. If he didn't know you? If he didn't know me, but I, my life would be better if I didn't know you. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Back to our regularly scheduled program. Uh, so, no, mailbag. We're going to do a little mailbag because, uh, like, like, like yeah, this is going to sound a little self-absorbed, but you're just like, I just really want to know what you have to say, Braden. I was like, that's awesome. Thanks. I want to know what you have to say about this. So we've got a couple of random mailbag questions we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, and, and some stuff at the end. We'll have a little fun, of course, as we usually do. I've got a Netflix And I do, I do need some Netflix recommendations. I've got some I'm, good I'm ones. I'm looking for a show. I've got some good ones for you. Um, Shameless is really good, though. What? Uh, no, <laughs> Never heard of it. No trivia today because we're done with trivia. We're not doing the trivia anymore because you guys, A, we're so spectacular. We've also given away a boatload of magazines. Do you have a total tally of number? I of magazines? told you I could figure it out, and I didn't. So there was F a, on your homework. There was at least six an episode because we had three winners in that. Right. So and we did it for about five weeks. I, I want to say like up over thirty magazines. Yeah, and sometimes away, the so. first couple of weeks we we were generous with the people who yes. just missed, yes. and you would you would promise someone something. So yeah, yeah. I'm a little call, a little more it, liberal with my giveaways. Yeah, because I have to do it. <laughs> right, we're calling it thirty five. I like I like putting you to work, which yes. never really has happened in twelve years of working together. Um, so like yeah, I mean almost forty magazines or so. And, and it pays to be a Cover 2 podcast listener. That's all I'm saying. Um, and we appreciate you guys 
so much. It's just been an amazing month with you guys uh, listening and, and downloading and engaging, and uh, hopefully we can pay that back a little bit by giving you guys some magazines. So we do appreciate that. Um, speaking of feedback and sort of engagement, um, I, I put out my – I don't know how much you care about this, and I don't know if it, it is a it is an accurate measure of anything. Um, we're going to get to a question about Brian Kelly and some other reactions to our coaching list, but – I put out basically my ranking of each Power 5 conference on Twitter. I just wanted to throw them out there one morning just to see what would happen, see what the reaction would be. Now, I I realize that I may have more followers in certain regions of the country, um, whether it's the Big Ten or the SEC. I I get that. But I thought this was interesting, and maybe you can tell me if it's not or or, or it is. Okay? So, you know, you can go to Twitter, you can go to your analytics, and you can sort of – you can can sort your tweets by engagement, right? How – how, how engaging was your audience? And that's something that, like, we're seeing sports teams now. I didn't know that. I mean, I knew you could. Sports I don't teams, do it. I'm not well, self-absorbed. Like so, you. like, Yahoo just did a huge – or there's this huge study that just did, did all the fan bases in the NFL, ranked all 32 fan bases, like, who's the best fan base? And one of them is social engagement. How active are you on social media? How engaged are you? How much are you sharing stuff? So there is, there is an actual metric there to being active and involved and engaged. And so I, I put out – the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12, and a top 25. So my engagement for the Big Ten list that I put out was I had 3,987 engagements. I had 2,924 engagements for the SEC. I had 98 engagements for the ACC, 291 engagements for the Big 12, and 224 engagements for the Pac-12. Well, you asked me, where have we gotten the most feedback? And I, actually, Stephen Last was in our office, too, who posted the story, and we both said, independent of that, the Big Ten. Right, and so it's not even – now, I had the most total – It's the most I, difficult one to – I had the most gross impressions from the SEC. Now, again, I live in the Southeast, and I acknowledge that, so I, I don't want to skew the numbers, but I've, you and I have worked in sort of the quote-unquote national media for our entire careers. I've covered Oregon just as much as I've covered Florida or Ohio State or Texas. Like, I've covered all those teams equally in my – 10 or 11 year career working for both Sirius XM and Athlon Sports and, and previously Rivals.com. So I, I found that to be very interesting. Two things. One, to your point, the Big Ten was probably the hardest. And I think in specific, Jim Harbaugh, Mark D'Antonio, James Franklin. Everybody was appalled. <laughs> if, if I had D'Antonio head of. I would, say the, I would say the most feedback that I've. is the Kirk Ferentz, Paul Christ. That's the uh, same, yeah. Um, Scott Frost. Scott Frost, the, the middle, Fitzgerald, even. Yeah, Jeff Brom. And Lovey Smith. Most people had him now, number one. Right. Well, I have Harbaugh ahead of, of right. D'Antonio and Franklin, so I realize that causes controversy right away, and that's not what I was trying and to I do. Actually, I just think he's better. I think all three of them are top ten, though, so I really don't think they're that different. I just, you know, same thing with the SEC. I had Jimbo Fisher fifth in the SEC, but I don't, uh, as I did my national list, they're all identical. Right. Like, Dan Mullen, Gus Malzahn, Kirby Smart. It's like Smart. our Big Ten football predictions. Right. Like we have all those teams in right. the top 12 anyway. And in fact, I heard you you had a good um, explanation. For, sort of like, you know, a, a, a cheating spouse or something. I listened to you on the radio yesterday in Omaha, the station that I oh. go on weekly. I'm on with those guys with Nick Baugh and Corey. That, feels, that felt weird for you? Yeah. Well, I, I, he, you know, it wasn't like they were trying to hide it because Corey texted <laughs> me. He's like, why isn't Brady getting back with me? So then I saw that you were going to be on. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I wasn't ghosting him. I, I, and I, I listened <laughs> to it. It was, it felt a little weird. You were on with my guys there, but you I've know, been on I, with them many times. I, I, I understand. Uh, but I thought you, you had a good <laughs> <You're so territorial. laughs> explanation of it. You're like, I just, I'm not, you can 
say if oh, you want defending, defending my thoughts on Harbaugh? Yeah, basically just like you guys are all idiots if you don't think he's a good coach. <laughs> that was basically it, Well, right? it, it was a little bit more complex than that. but That I was th- the bottom line. I think the gist of Jim Harbaugh and in part why it got so much engagement and reaction on Twitter and why – I think he is overexposed, overcovered, and then and therefore overhated by fans because the fans I don't think take the time to realize all of the things that actually are on his resume and they settle on because like we're in a seven second soundbite talking point society that we live in now with the media where all you need is one talking point that's really good and funny and like everybody just trips all over themselves. Oh, he's a great coach for fin- finishing third in the Big Ten East. Like that's not factually untrue, but it doesn't paint the entire picture of how good of a coach he is. And I've actually used the analogy because I got a lot of pushback. Penn State fans were upset that I had Franklin fourth. Michigan State fans were upset that I had Harbaugh ahead of – like if I had switched him, it would have been – people would have been just as angry. And I, I get to the end of these conversations and I just go, I have him 6, 7, and 8 out of 130. Right. Are you okay with that? Like you, you – it's fine. I'm fine with you thinking that one's better than the other, but they all are about the same, right? And that's where people go, no, Jim Harbaugh doesn't belong in anywhere near the top. And I go, you can't – and this is the Eli Manning versus – and I've used a couple different analogies in the Big Ten. I went with Tom Brady and Kyle Orton. It's the Eli Manning-Chris Leak comparison. Well, who had the better college career? Well, you could argue Chris Leak, but we know he's not the better football player, right? Tom Brady didn't have as good a career as Kyle Orton. It's not even close in college. But we know who the better football player is. So it's hard for me to look at Jim Harbaugh and not go, he went to three straight NFC Championship games. I know it's the NFL, but how, do we not t- how does that not somehow, some way creep into your evaluation of a guy's ability? So, again... A ton of feedback from the Big Ten and a ton of feedback from the SEC. Are we surprised that those are the two most successful, lucrative, powerful leagues in all of America? Uh, again, engagement. If you care that much about your team in the Pac-12 or in the Big 12 or the ACC, you have to be engaged about it. And I just I have found that SEC content and Big Ten content gets way more reaction from people right now. And you, you've you've you know you said it for years and, it, and it's true. You know why. The Big Ten, they have the biggest schools. They have huge stadiums. Like for, as far as enrollment, the Big Ten is just is, – is, the numbers are staggering. Yeah. Why, are, why are ABC primetime games – I mean, I realize they don't because SEC's on ESPN and stuff, but usually it's an SEC, it's a Big Ten game. There's so many eyeballs in those states. and There are more people in the city of Chicago than there are in, like, seven of the nine SEC states, right? Like Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi – South Carolina, Alabama, like there's not nine million people in Chicago, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they're all most of them are Big Ten or Notre Dame alumni. No, I would say not most of the nine million people are Big Ten alumni. Uh, whatever, you can just <laughs> most of the college football fans there, in there's Chicago. A, there's a lot of college. Sorry, yes, most of the just, college football fans. I don't think in, you meant that, but uh, you're right. I, did, I just meant there's a lot of fans, sort of like the SEC. And, of and all the, the fans that are populating the Chicago area, I'm assuming it's pretty like Dallas. I'm assuming that the biggest populations alumni bases in Dallas are Big Twelve schools. Yeah. That's all. And Nashville and Atlanta are sort of SEC melting pot. Charlotte, where where Birmingham is more of an Alabama Auburn town, right? At right. Nashville and Atlanta, sure, there's Tennessee and, and Georgia, but they're really melting pots oh, of everywhere. Ole Miss, Alabama, yeah. Auburn, you know, Kentucky, all kinds of fans. Um, so I, again, I don't know. I think it's very difficult to evaluate, and I found myself after talking with so many people on Twitter about this stuff. Um, I found I found that there's. The groups, some of the groups we talked about in on the podcast last week, in the SEC, it's the second tier, which is below Saban but above Matt Muschamp and Stoops. It's Jimbo Fisher, Kirby Smart, Gus Malzahn, and Dan Mullen. I don't think there's a difference between those four. I, I but have also, no, I have we, no we problem do need if to you rank on because sure, we, sure. we had a pot in this. But in what universe is it easy 
to compare Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen. Like, no, none. Kirby Smart has been at an elite school for two years, had one bad year, one unbelievable one year. One, one mediocre year, one great year. Dan Mullen was at a school that's very difficult to win at, one big, one big relative to the, the past. So, like, you're comparing those two guys. No, I agree. It's very difficult. I, I agree. And it's funny. I had my favorite response. I, I will end this conversation and get on to Brian Kelly because my favorite response, and, and this is one, one I always felt like, people are like, what has Jim Harbaugh ever won? James Franklin has a Big Ten title, and I want to be like, Harbaugh beat him by 40 that year. And the other, my, my other favorite one is, well, D'Antonio took a three-win team to ten wins last year. That was my favorite response That's, of all. That is the because, dumbest. Because he took a 12-win team to three wins. That was his team. Right. You can only you use can, that you when you credit. take over. Like, right. Scott Frost gets credit for right. taking a zero-win team to six wins because he didn't coach the zero-win like team. Like, if Jeremy Pruitt wins a bunch of games for Tennessee right. this year, they were 0-8 last year, He that wasn't his fault. That was my favorite response of the entire tw- – again, I had – Thousand, that person. I, had, I had thousands. Wait, of, it was a Michigan State fan. Wasn't, yes, wasn't it was Heather, a Michigan wasn't? State fan. I had was thousands of mentions it, talking about these lists I put out. And my favorite number one was, why doesn't D'Antonio get any credit from taking a three-win team to a ten-win team? And I, I, just, I just said. I told her to stay off Twitter. I quote tweeted and I just said, this is my favorite response. I, had, I, didn't, even, I didn't even reply. Like, I just was like, this is my favorite. Um, so that brings us to Brian Kelly. Um, and, and you had, if you want to read the tweet, this is, we're, we're calling out a specific tweet here so this is a this is sort of leading into our mailbag conversation to some degree uh, yes as we took a question about yes. brian kelly i do think notre dame is fascinating brian kelly is fascinating notre dame is fascinating they it is this individual case thing in college football they're like an independent Be- seriously they, they're, right, they're on their own they don't they live in this own their own little world and it just i mean it's it's sort of like there's a lot of nebraska to it as far as recruiting i mean not from a location standpoint but a, a recruiting issues, powerhouse yeah. 20 years ago there's, so it's a very complex program, and they have a very complex coach. We so, do not subscribe to the idea, even though we're about to spend four and five minutes talking about Notre Dame right. specifically, we do not subscribe to the theory that Notre Dame is somehow overrated in the rankings by the committee or in the polls They're just a, they're be, like because a they're school. Notre Dame. Yeah, they, they're, they're no longer right. the only team on Sunday morning college football replays. Like, right. Everybody's on TV. So Matt Moran, uh, Twitter handle, faceless. Zero three one one ND. Hopefully his face is okay. It's faceless. Mm. Um, dated question with Brian Kelly. Granted, he's polarizing, but how much does ND's travel, random yet difficult schedule, strict academic and conduct policies, locale expectations, national cynicism factor into your evaluation? <laughs> Asking for a friend who thinks it's a hard capital H I R D job. Good question. Uh, um, I think he's a good coach. Who is not a great coach? Who, if he was not, if he was more well, more polished, should I say, on the sideline and didn't turn bright red and drop f bombs at his quarterback, that more people, more Notre Dame fans would have warmed up to him. It's not just the sideline behavior was, was also permeating through every every place. Like it was meeting rooms. It, like he was just a mean, abrasive guy, and he supposedly worked on it last year and changed that. So I don't, I don't know. Who knows if it worked? I don't, yeah, I don't and, know. and I'm looking up his. He, he was he, what he did is he decided to become more involved in his players' lives, right? Become more connected, one on one, have more of a relationship with his players. I do believe that that helps college football coaches. The more you are, it's friends isn't the right word, but the more you are involved in your players' lives, the more respect, the two way street of respect. Right, will, they will you care more. Right, I mean, it's legitimate. Exactly. So. Can I am still of the belief that Notre Dame can win big. I don't think Notre Dame can. Should we should group them in with the the, the Alabama, Clemson, you know, maybe. Georgia How many programs now. played in the BCS national title game in sixteen years? Maybe like thirty. They're one of them. And maybe less than that. Maybe like twenty. 
you know, the, the schedule's interesting because I, this, I'm sort of like just going all over the place on here because I was talking about this the other day with someone. The thing about the Notre Dame schedule is it, it varies from really good to, you know, to really, really challenging. And even in the good years, the thing about Notre Dame is they rarely have an off week. Like, they're not even like they're, they're not playing. There's an occasional Tulsa. But that's, but that's okay. But it. sometimes Tulsa, that, that Tulsa team could be, seven, uh, could be a, a solid team with a good offense. And they, they're everyone's big game. Like, they're, they're just not the two- or three-week stretch where they don't have to they, – they, for the most part, unless they have an elite Notre Dame team, they have to play well every week to win. And the, the, that takes a toll on a team mentally. They have to be on their A game more often you don't than think Ala, You don't think people get up for Alabama every week? Yeah, but, Al- but that's why I said unless or... they're a really good Notre Dame. Like, Alabama's to the point now with their program, they're, they're good enough where they don't have to play well. Every week, like Notre Dame is not in that. They're in that kind of middle ground where they're they're they've got good talent. They should win most of their games, but if they don't play well against some of the, the I think the thing, force, the Dukes of the world who have beat Duke beat them. Sure, a couple years there, ago. there's things that I that think, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm saying if you agree, but I, I don't I don't disagree, but I don't think I. So here's the I think Notre Dame's schedule is slightly tougher than most Power Five schedules. I agree with that. I don't think it is significantly more tough, more difficult. If that makes sense, I think that. If you look at Alabama's schedule or you look at um, Clemson's schedule or Texas's schedule, just teams that are in the the big power programs that are competing you know, at the highest levels or whatever, I think that there's always like one super cupcake, right? Then there's like another cupcake. Like one's like a double-decker cupcake, and then there's like a regular cupcake, and then there's like a... Aren't even gluten-free? And then you get like a... I'd like a gluten-free Then you, then you get like a dried fig is like the next dessert, and that's like your third non-conference game. But that one's always sometimes that's a re- like that's Tulsa though like the like Western Kentucky played Alabama or Middle Tennessee played Alabama those are good conference USA teams they're they're not tests for Alabama but they're good conference USA teams so I think there's maybe one extra cupcake game on most everybody else's schedule so that does make Notre Dame's schedule slightly more difficult I think the most interesting part of that tweet was the I don't think it's hard to get players into great academic schools anymore if Stanford or Vanderbilt or Duke or Northwestern or Notre Dame want to get a want to get Adrian Peterson or Leonard Fournette or Johnny Five Star into their school they it, it will happen it, it that is not a that is not a hurdle or an obstacle for anybody i think for those specific schools and for many others that are very good academically and i think specifically Notre Dame has a personal policy conduct that is far more stringent than anywhere else it is more difficult to stay eligible at Stanford and Vanderbilt and Northwestern and Duke and Notre Dame where Notre Dame also has a very stringent personal conduct policy. And I think that is what hurts Notre Dame to some degree because they'll kick a safety off the team who's starting after one minor incident where Nick Saban doesn't even suspend him for a game. And so I, we can discuss the morality of all that all, all day. It's, that's not what we're here to do. I do think it is more difficult to keep a roster together and active. They are more strict. But Notre Dame fans and the Notre Dame thing – they want it that way. You can't have it both they ways. They choose it that yeah. way, and therefore you cannot complain about it. Because they, Notre Dame fans like – like we would. this is one of the weirdest things I learned about Notre Dame. We, I had a, a caller on my SiriusXM show call me, and he goes, Braden, you don't understand Notre Dame fans. We would rather take less money and make less profit and keep our independence. And you don't understand that. And maybe I didn't because I always thought as soon as you can make more money, it makes sense for Notre Dame to get into a conference. And we'll get to the money in a second, what that would mean. $50 million for Big Ten teams this year. That's a big deal. They, they would rather have those harsh penalties and have that code of conduct and then lose the game. And I don't understand that. but I, I mean, I do, but 
to your point, you can't have it both ways. Yeah, no, I think you said it very well. And I, I think that's something that a lot of common casual fans don't understand when they see. They think they might think there might be a perception out there that Notre Dame has more problems than other schools. They don't have more problems. No. They just react to the problems and they discipline. You know, the, which again, it's in great. A, I'm all for. it. We should be positive about yeah. that in theory. I mean, although I do, I personally view a hey, you got busted for smoking weed in college. I just personally don't view that as like a moral. But okay, like academic. Problem. You know, there's sure. there some academic issues. They're just they're they're not going to deal with they're, that they are going to deal with. They're you know they're they're. They're not going to put up with. So I think you you kind of stated it well at the beginning. I think he's a pretty good coach. I don't know if he's a great elite level coach, but I think he's pretty good, and we rank him in the top twenty five. And, and all and the stuff that he brought up in that tweet is brought into the evaluation right. and, of all these coaches. I brought this up, and I brought up a lot with Kirk Ferentz, and he's almost in that stage where now Notre Dame has cycled through some coaches: Ty Willingham, Bob Davey. But like the longer you have a coach at a place, that becomes the expectation. That becomes the standard. Who's to say if for whatever reason they didn't make a move three years ago and hired someone else who would have been great? Dino Babers. I'm just making that name right. up. That's why I never fault a school for making a change. Because like if you're kind of if you think you should be better, maybe it's misguided, but who am I to tell you not to try and get better? You know? So so like Iowa if they made a change six, seven years ago, maybe they're a lot better now. Maybe they're a lot worse. That's why it's difficult to 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 rank Kirk Ferentz because we're just kind of ranking him against the standard that he set because he's been there for so long. Well, I, I, I you've said that a few times, and I think I I think we know more about Iowa the program and can rank Iowa the program and that it's and what we perceive as an outsider's expectation should be. And sometimes Kirk Ferentz exceeds those expectations, right. and sometimes he's below them. But over time, he sort of hovers right around Iowa. <laughs> right. And I think because he matches that, that's what makes but, it maybe but difficult to decide. Let's say he leaves 10 years ago. Let's say he leaves 10 years ago, and the program hasn't had a winning record since. Right after the 08 Orange Bowl Yeah, or whatever, maybe they, the perception is, man, it's Iowa. It's tough to recruit there. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nebraska's now in the big – There's all, Northwestern's better than they used to be. You just can't win in Iowa anymore. Maybe that would have been the perception if he left and they've cycled through some coaches. That's kind of my point. I, I see what you're saying. I just – I think there's more tradition, uh, more ticket sales. Like I think right. they're just, more, they're more kinda, of a power program than than I'm maybe. Just throwing a hypothetical. I am there. defending Iowa now on the podcast. You love Iowa. I do. In fact, I one of my favorite uniforms in all of college football. Really? Yes, love Iowa's uniforms. I love that the Hawkeye is very. It's you know exactly what it is when you see it. You know it's Iowa. The black and the gold. Like I, I know. I just, okay. I just love the. I uniform. just think they're 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 classy. They're fine. They're just a little boring. But yeah. I like. But I like boring uniforms. I don't like all the the frilly. All the the, the, the frittiness okay. and the piping. I don't know what that is, but I don't like it. You don't like um, piping? Yeah, I hate piping. Um, all right, so real quickly here, revenue numbers are out for the fiscal year uh, through last college football season. Um, and, again, I don't know. There's not like a huge grand takeaway from all of this, but I do I want to. Yes, there is. The richer getting richer. That is true. I do want to. I think the numbers, though, are pretty startling when you think about it. Um, the ACC reported between 25 and $30 million in revenue per school. Um, that is the worst of the Power 5 schools, but they're up 12%. So that's Power a big, 5 leagues. Power yeah. 5 leagues, sorry. That's a, they went from $373 million to $418 million, So that is up 12%, the largest growth of any league. That's a positive, but they are still behind the Big 12 and the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is up 8%. They gave out $30.9 million to each one of their schools. The Big 12 up 6%. Um, six and a half percent. They gave thirty six and a half million dollars per school. Again, well above the Pac twelve and the ACC. So Big Twelve financially, that that whole thing about them going out of business, so to speak, maybe not as uh, strong as we think. Then we take a jump to the SEC, of course, up again. 
Uh, their revenue over the last three years, $527 million, $639 million, $650 million, now up to $41 million per school. And the Big Ten comes in in a whopping $51.1 million per school, up from 36 last year. That, of course, due to the new television contracts that they signed with both, I believe, Fox and ESPN. Um, so the Big Ten schools each get $51.1 million. The AAC went down 6% as a conference and got a total of $74.5 million. So if when we say on this podcast that I don't think UCF could handle Michigan's schedule, it's not really a knock on UCF. It's a knock on the system. The AAC gave, had a total of $74.5 million in, in television revenue or in revenue. Each school in the Big Ten got $51 million. That is that is a different sport that they are playing. Again, I don't know what the huge takeaway is from this other than it is a just flashing neon sign saying, sorry, group of five, you're playing a different game. Yeah, no, I, I agree. We, For full disclosure, we had a, a debate about this <laughs> this morning whether to talk about it. I, my point is I don't really care. And you're like, how do you not care? It's the future of the sport. Like, I care, but it's nothing new. It's like, they're just a bunch of numbers. The numbers just keep getting bigger. The numbers keep getting bigger. So, like, it doesn't affect me that... Does this... But what happens to the group? Like, 10 years from now, what ha- to me, what it says is... There's always been a huge divide. But but now we're seeing but percentage drops in the smaller school. Like, we're seeing a... Okay, can I play devil's advocate? And again, this is like not a, group this of five is not a survive. space I live in. Like, I don't... I know on your serious show, you probably talk about a lot more. So... It's very not. But, it's very unserious. But they're getting. Those schools are still getting a lot of money. Like AA type schools are getting more money than they did ten years ago because they're on TV more. So I know the gap is getting bigger. Not if they're going down in revenue. That's the biggest number. Okay, I'm worried but they're, about. Okay. They, they, the AAC lost six percent in revenue. Okay, that's not a huge. I mean, it's it's a number. I guess but my it's point the wrong would direction. be. Yeah, we'll see what happens next year. I guess my point would be our schools like UCF, Memphis, East Carolina. They're still getting more money than they did five, six, seven years ago. They can still do more with their program. And I know the gap's getting a lot bigger, but what I I'm wondering my, my is takeaway is I what just, I'm wondering is if it's going if it, if it continues on a downward trend, though, it won't be the case. At some point, there'll be a point where they're not getting more money than they did ten years ago. Right. That's what I'm worried about. And That's what we, I we've care said about. like, and I just use these two schools as an example. I've said it for you know Alabama and Akron. They don't play the same sport. Yeah, I agree. There needs to be money. There are ways to solve this, and it's not paycheck games either. That's not that's a one-time, fifty-five to three solution short term. The, the real solution is to earmark TV money for the lower levels. It, that's that's the only thing we can do. If if they expand to eight teams, and all of a sudden the TV contract goes from four billion to eight billion, give a billion of it to the small schools. Just 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 earmark it. Whatever how much you think is to keep those schools running and to keep those programs afloat because if you care about group of five football, the trends aren't good financially. They're just not. Everybody else is exploding. The power five is exploding in revenue, 8%, 12%, 6% growth, and you're going the other way. That's not good. T- TV deals for Conference USA is nothing. It's peanuts. It's it's just it, – so you, I, I'm genuinely concerned about it because eventually money does drive all of this stuff. It's not about players and coaches and ticket sales. It's about money, and that's eventually where we get. All right. Um, so I wanted to, uh, to to sort of point out those numbers. All right. So do you want to head to the mailbag portion of yeah, did our? You, did you come up with our mailbag song, a jingle? I don't uh, think so. No. Okay. I don't think so. You want to sing something? No, not. I don't think our audience wants me to do that. Okay. Your uh, Marin, how old is she? Twenty months. So okay, she's not. And I don't even know if it's still popular, but Dora the Explorer. 
No, not, um, part, of, not part of the. She's Elmo, and I, so mom watches Elmo with her Sesame Street, and I watch uh, SpongeBob with her. Shameless. Okay. So, but we don't watch anything. Yes, a lot of Shameless. Yeah. Um, Fiona Gallagher is actually quite a nice role model for my okay. daughter. I watch. I, you if, don't know what if, that means. If my audience, come over my audience house, does. I would watch Shameless with her. Are you serious? If you bring her on, no, because you will bring her on. Oh my god, I'll totally do that. <laughs> okay. It's that it's good it. of a show, Mitch. You are such an idiot. It's, I hate you so much. We're gonna binge it There's for five hours. There's literally nothing I hate about you more than the fact that you will not watch <laughs> Shameless purely out of spite. It is your loss. It is a wonderful show. That's not why. William so, H Macy is brilliant. The reason, yeah, good. He was great in ER. Um, yeah, he was, was in, he ER. in ER. Yeah, well, yeah. Definitely. And guess what? Frank Gallagher, better character than anything he did in ER. So just saying. In Back in Door of the Explorer, we'll there, there's, the uh, there's a backpacks thing. They, they sing this backpack jingle, and I was thinking we, you could sing that in the mailbag. I don't bag. know the jingle, mailbag, thank God. Mailbag, so. Athlon okay. mailbag. Yeah. Can I, can I go first? Uh, you have more questions than I okay. do, so yes. Mitch from Bellevue would like to know. Okay. Brayden, first of all, thanks for being on the show. Hope you're doing well today. Doing well. Okay, good. What? Mitch from Bellevue hosts the show now? Yeah. Oh. No, like I'm saying if I have a radio show and you're I'm you're hosting the show, and oh. I'm like, hey, Mitch from Bellevue, what would you like to know? <laughs> The Big 12, we've often talked about, and I'll be the radio. Like This is just, totally random, and neither one of us know either Instead of question, asking the question, questions. like a radio host, I'll ask a four-minute question. Okay. <laughs> we all know the Big 12, Oklahoma's the preseason favorite, and after that, there's, there's probably three or four or five teams that you wouldn't be shocked if they won the league. Right now, June 28th. I know you tell so me it's not It's a to, Thursday. It's a Thursday. We're, we're taping this on a Thursday. OU or the field in the Big 12? The field. So you, if, no if I get if you're a thousand dollars at the Gall Fortune right the now, field. You, 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 okay, no hesitation at all. No hesitation. Okay, I th- there's two. I I think now, I, now I'm I high on. I agree. Now I'm high on Lincoln Riley, but and and according to my coaching rankings, even some Oklahoma fans thought I was too high on Oklahoma, yes. on, on Lincoln Riley, which is which is concerning. <laughs> um, but I I think, and you've pointed this out many times on the show that that Lincoln Riley was gifted a transcendent generational talent and that Baker Mayfield was just that good. And I don't Who think benefited from Lincoln Riley's system. Right. We've got to be and fair about that. Listen, though. I know that I, I listen again. I, I think Lincoln Riley, <laughs> I think Lincoln Riley's a good coach. I'm very high on him. I, I just think that there is, there has to be a step back. There has to be a learning curve with both the coaching staff and a new quarterback in a league that I think is getting better around them. I think West Virginia is better. I think Texas is going to be better. I don't think Oklahoma State is better, so that's a positive if you're an Oklahoma fan. Um, and uh, TCU is interesting. Kansas State's always dangerous. I just think the games are so even in that league. You play nine. I just think the games are so even that I wouldn't be surprised if a 6-3 and three team won the league. I wouldn't be surprised if it was any of those teams I mentioned. So I, I would take the field. Okay. For sure. Question number two. Mitch from Bellevue wants I get, to know. I get the third question. Okay. Mitch from Bellevue wants to know, assuming Athlon Sports – Sports is is, is uh, preseason playoff predictions come to fruition, which you know why, would, they why wouldn't they? Right. Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and Ohio State. Name the starting quarterbacks for those four <laughs> teams in the in the playoff game. Yeah, it. I've, I've the the one of the most. I, I, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have, but I've been doing this for whatever thirteen, fourteen seasons now, and covering college football, and I I I think the idea that three of the four teams in the playoff last year would return a starting quarterback and that all three of them might not be the starting quarterback at the end of the season is one of the most uh, – alarming isn't the right word, but just – Biggest storyline. It's it's just one of the most 
bizarre things that could ever happen in college events football. And, like I was asked that, you know, on I radio don't, show the other day. Like, what, what's the biggest storyline? You're and I said that's got to be the the fact that we have three top three teams in the country returning but, starters that played in playoff games last year, who might get unseated, who were really good. So answer the question. So my answer is. Tua Tungavailoa starts from day one for Alabama. Because my answer is different for all three of okay. them. Okay. Uh, but I just want to know who's starting the playoff game. But you can Tua lead Tunga, up to it. Tua Tungavailoa will start day one and start the whole season and okay. start in the playoffs. He's the guy for Alabama. That's my opinion. That's okay. what I would guess. I think Jake Fromm is going to start the entire season for Georgia and start in the playoff. But Justin Fields is going to play the most of any of the backups. Agree. He's going to play a lot of snaps. He's going to get a lot of reps. He's going to play. He's going to play a lot. In, in bad like in garbage time, he also might have some you know unique packages that they run offensively for him. Despite Jim Cheney being the offensive coordinator, um, I, I think Jake Fromm has just earned too much, and I think he's too cool under pressure and runs Kirby's offense the way he wants it run, which is that true pro style power formation stuff. So I think Fromm is the guy. I think Kelly Bryant is guaranteed to start Week Two on the road in College Station. He's too good. And even if Trevor Lawrence is great, I don't think he's starting week two in College Station. It's too hostile an environment, too big a game. I think Kelly Bryant's still the guy. I would say that Trevor Lawrence could be starting at the playoff game. That's the one that I'm most convinced will take place, and there'll be a change in the middle of the year. If they lose a game, you know, Boston College is the one I've got circled. If they lose a game in the middle of October or late October, does, does Dabo Sweeney make a switch middle of the year? I think Trevor Lawrence might be that good. That would, my answer would be Tungavailoa, Jake Fromm, Trevor Lawrence are the three playoffs. In Ohio players. State, I, I think it's it's uh, I, I can't is it Hank Haskins? Haskins yeah, it's Dwayne always Haskins. I think it's Haskins. Yeah. I think he's too good. Uh, he's too much experience, and I think he's he's very. I think he's very talented. So. If we were going to take this this highly popular and outstanding podcast that we do on the road, and like you know like a game day type thing. And we picked two games this year. I think it would be Clemson at Boston College and Oklahoma at Ohio at Iowa State, right? I think we'd have I, to be I, at those two games. I do love Oklahoma <laughs> at Iowa State. I'm very obsessed with that game, and I'm super obsessed with uh, the Friday night trip to Chestnut Hill. Always a great time. Yes. <laughs> um, so you, I got I got so, three more. So, but so no, let, let me go here because I want to kind of tie it back to your first yeah. question about Braden the Big from 12. East Nashville. Braden from East Nashville wants to know, and this I got this stemming from Oklahoma State. And the recent comments from athletic director um, Mike Holden, right? And or, no, yeah, Holden. Yeah, I think is, so. That's Holden's the, well, is why, the is the AD. Why doesn't it sound right? So he 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 was on a podcast, obviously not as good as ours. Um, and he was on a podcast. It was an Oklahoma he, State podcast. And he basically was saying we need to recruit better. We need to be higher in the recruiting rankings. And I'm paraphrasing here. Well, uh, you are, and I, I do want to. Mike Gundy, yeah. did not like that in particular. No, nor did the Oklahoma State fans. And I think they had a little. A little tiff, a little dust up, and then they kind of – Holden kind of has backpedaled and said, listen, I, that came off wrong. I apologize. He, he's played the, the role of it was my fault, my bad, right? Mike Holder. Yes. Mike Holder. Holder, that's right. Um, so they have not – this is not the first time that we thought Mike Gundy and the administration or T. Boone Pickens or whoever – Can the, I interject the, about that? Because it's – and then you can go on with your question. Because my question actually doesn't have anything to do with okay, Oklahoma let me interject. State. Okay, was listening to uh, another podcast um, – there you, are, you said I was cheating on you. That's cheating on just us. Just to see how awesome we are by listening to others that right. are inferior. Of course. And uh, friends of the podcast, Stephen Godfrey and Bill Connolly on, on uh, po- podcast. Quiet. Don't, don't promote okay. anybody else's podcast. And Bill had 
There's not enough space in people's lives okay. for two podcasts. <laughs> Bill, Bill Connolly had listened to that <laughs> podcast and, and had done a story on, uh, on Gundy. So he'd spent a lot of time there and felt like he kind of knew the inner workings more. And evidently in the podcast, what Holder said was he's a fantastic coach, great coach. And his point was more not that he doesn't recruit well, that based on his success and how good of a coach he is, he should shoot for higher, a higher recruiting level. Like he thinks he's selling himself short. It's kind of a backhanded compliment. Yeah. But uh, it, it wasn't – if you just read the headlines and you're just hearing it now, it wasn't like, we need to recruit better. Why aren't we recruiting better? It was in context of, yeah, right, we've right. got a great program. We should be going after these kids. But more. you're Oklahoma State, so sorry. Um, you're not going to recruit I like just, I wanted to – I found no, that and, interesting. And, and it is interesting. The, the, reason I, the reason it struck me, though, is that this isn't the first time that we have seen sure. – for, for whatever reason, if it's a misunderstanding, whatever, that's – again, my, my point is, is that – my, the reason Mike Gundy has flirted with other schools every time they come open is because there's this this power thing that's going on at Oklahoma State, right? Him and his AD and his booster have always sort of like, hey, I want control over scheduling. Hey, I want this or I want more money for that or whatever. It, it's just the way it is. My question to you is, do you need an athletic director and a head coach to get along? Do they have to work together for a program to be great or does that relationship matter at all? Like that's that's my like. Does that relationship even register wins and losses? If you ask ninety percent of coaches, they'll tell you it matters great. It, they'll talk about the commitment from the top down. You can't win unless your university is committed, which means your president, which means your athletic director. I've, I I don't know the answer to the question. I've never been a head coach. I've been around some programs. I I would prefer. Everyone get along if it's my, if I'm a fan of that school, if I'm the coach, whatever. But I don't think it's a prerequisite for success. I mean, that's, that's kind of a cop-out. They don't have to like each other at all. They just have to both be pulling in the, on the rope in the same direction. Wait, that's that's the best way to say it. The personal, it's sort of like... I mean, Belichick and Brady... In pro sports, you don't have to like your coach. You have to Bel- respect him. Belichick and Brady As obviously coach, don't like each other. But uh, the, does any is anyone concerned about the Patriots when the ball is kicked off? In, as a coach, in week one? Nope. you want to know that your athletic director... Like is pulling the rope in the same direction, and you can get what you need, and he's got your back in certain circumstances. It doesn't matter whether or not he thinks you're a an ass, but um, there, there's also this like what? How much do I let the coach get away with before I've got to step in and be his boss? And you can't—that's a big deal, right? And 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 what we've seen at Penn State, and we've seen at some schools happen in, in Baylor. Well, you, now you're seeing Ian McCall just right, you can't let, go off on what happened at Baylor. Like holy moly, you can't let the head coach get too powerful. That that again, the, the, the whole you know, it just it just struck me that these two like this is the most successful era sort of of Oklahoma State football, and Mike Gundy's an alumni and all this stuff, and it seems like he's always butting heads for one reason or another with people that are in charge at Oklahoma State, and it's like it hasn't really affected them too much as far as winning because they're winning a lot of games. So I, it just struck me as an interesting. But by all accounts, he's a very good athletic director who yeah, supports his right, coach and exactly. supports his teams, and he was a former athlete there and done a great job with their Olympic sports. So the Ian Macosta, holy cow! Yeah, it's I. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just no, I don't know enough to know. You know, it's just so it, it, former AD yapping. Is what's you know the question or is it my turn? Uh, your turn. Okay. Posi- I want to talk, Mitch from Bellevue. Mitch from Bellevue. What would you like to know? Wants to know your opinion of position coaches. If you're a head coach and you had X amount of money to spend, your great athletic director gave you a pot of money, rank the order that you would spend the money on to hire the best possible position coach. Go from most important position to – and we're going to go – we're not going like 
This defensive is, ends coach, defensive no, no, no. This coach. is easy for me. Okay, this is easy for me, and I've got three of them that are ranked ahead of everybody else. Okay, and so if I agree, and and it would be dependent on long snapper. Who, it would be dependent on who I am. Right. Okay. You, you, so if you, I am you are a CEO head coach, you have no specialty. You're well, not an offensive guy or so defensive again, guy. So again, my if I am an offensive coach, my top priority would be my defensive coordinator. My second priority would be my offensive coordinator. Okay. That, and that, my third that, priority would be my recruiting coordinator. That's not the question. That's what I'm. I have, I have ten people on my staff. The, the place I am investing the I most money are the those two coordinators top three. and my recruiting coordinator. Those would be my top three. Strength and conditioning coach in there too. Okay. Strength and conditioning coach is not an official. I right, for, forget of your staff. coordinator. Which position coaches are the most important in your mind? Offensive line and defensive line. Okay, that would be my answer. And then, then those would be the next I, two. Um, Ranked from first to worst. Probably secondary coach next. Okay. And a lot of this just hit, just just is directly related to what positions on the field I find to be the most important. Your offensive line and your defensive line are your most important positions outside of quarterback. So maybe if quarterbacks coach is in there, I probably should have put them in there. Yeah, uh, I would probably go. Oh, I'd probably go D line first, O line. I'd go O line first. Quarterback secondary, linebackers. Can we agree that wide receivers, back? running backs at the bottom, and I think Titans. and special teams would probably fit somewhere in the middle. Now this isn't fair, but I think most people would agree that like running backs coaches are like the, the least important. Yeah, a lot of them are great recruiters. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, I yeah, I would have running backs at the bottom with wide receivers and tight ends slightly above them, linebackers just ever so slightly above them. But again, I think this all ties in. It's a good question, but I think it ties in directly to the positions on the field. I think your defensive line is just a slight hair more important than your offensive line, but they're both basically, so to me, they're both basically even. To me, offensive line is a little bit more of a technique position, so I'd rather have a better coach. Both, both positions yeah. are very technique-driven, but but all, but also it's those are two of the most sort of you know pre-snaps. It's very strange for them to be the cerebral ones because you think of safeties and middle linebackers as cerebral, but it's more instinctual to play middle linebacker and react to what you see and have muscle memory. Same with safety. Whereas if you're a defensive tackle, you have to – like the second the ball is snapped – there are 36 things that can happen, and you have to have a reaction to all 36 things. You know, I'm slanting left. I'm firing this gap. I'm swimming here. I'm holding this ground. Like, I, I just think defensive line and offensive line, that's where you win games. It's still where you win games. It's why Clemson's going to win the national title this year. Ooh, they, have the best, they have the best defensive line in America. So Okay. I, that's, a good, that's a good. Mitch from Bellevue has a two-part question. Uh, Braden from East Nashville would like to Okay. In. So, um, Braden on line two, what you got? First time, long time. Um John Ward passed away this week. If you do not know who that is, he is the longtime play-by-play man for the Tennessee Volunteers program. Um, you know, football time in Tennessee, the national championship in clad is, is clad in big orange. Like, there's just lots of famous. Give him six. Give him six things that he's. Uh, recently, I believe Larry Munson passed away, the play-by-play man for Georgia. Um, I, it seems like my, my question is, is are we uh, – because a lot of these people, these play-by-play voices – because football games weren't on television, you I could mean, always find a radio call in the 80s and in the 90s and in the 70s. It, you could always, no matter where you were, you could always listen to the game. So the radio voices became what we as a, a generation of college football fans grew up listening to. Um, and so now that everything is on TV, I don't think we are ever going... So I guess my question is, are we done with sort of this historical connection with the radio play-by-play man? Is that just done forever? In it, really, in any sport, but college football, it seemed like it was more – these voices were more important 
through all of these, whether you're an Ohio Great. State fan or a Texas fan or a Tennessee fan or, or USC or whatever, the radio voice was the voice of your team and your program. And now I don't, are, are we ever going to have a generation that connects like that again? Great point that you bring up. Um, I still think the, the, the short answer is no. It's just, it's a different time. It's a different era. I still think fans feel a connection with their, the voice of their school because there's so much media out there, so many naysayers and opinions left and right that, that they know that, that that's their guy, that, that he's a homer. There's degrees of homerism. Eli which is Gold. Fine. <laughs> yeah, that, that he's, he's got their back, you know, so they identify with that guy. But to, to, to your point about sitting in your car, listening to a game because there's no game on TV, uh, clearly those. Way over. The, yeah. the, the, that's way gone. Like now, when I was in college in the early 90s, Vanderbilt was on 1510, which at night went all the way up. I, I could drive around my house in New Jersey and listen to a Vanderbilt basketball game on the radio when I was home for Christmas. Now I would just – That's crazy. Now I would just watch it on my phone. You know, right. and I'd listen to the – Like, yes. is Joe Tessitore – like, now he's doing NFL football <laughs> yeah. on Monday nights. But, like – He's more the voice of college football but like than your local guy, maybe. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. Like, the, this guy who – for the Big Ten fans, like – Whoever's doing the noon game on ESPN is more of the voice of your team if you're a Wisconsin fan or an Iowa fan or a Michigan State fan because that's the guy who calls your games a lot. You know, certainly the big names are on the, – the, the top five teams are on, you know, ABC. So it's Fowler yeah. or, or, or Musburger. It used to be on SEC Network or whatever. But, you know – So I, I think there's always going Doris to be – Doris Burke is right. like the voice of like, you know, Wisconsin football now. Like She doesn't do football. Or who, who's uh, – Pam Ward. I think she does an excellent job. Is Pam Ward now the voice I think of Wisconsin? He's Beth Moen. No, but Mo- yeah. sure, Beth Moen. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. You get my point. Like yeah. that's, but okay. Even so, in this exercise, I'm screwing up the names <laughs> because there aren't identifiable names with these programs anymore. I, I think, like I said, I, there's always going to be connection with your local guy because he's he's your guy. But but it's not going. There's no no more legends. I think I, I, there there is a romanticism. I think to that era of radio broadcasters, and as someone who works in radio, I. I definitely romanticize that that era. You're very romantic, but I'd much rather watch 50 games on Saturday. <laughs> right, yeah. So, like, I'm a part of the problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, car and drive yes, car. I'm yeah. not going to go to my car and listen. Like, oh, I really want to listen to that Northwestern game. I'm going to go sit in the car. <laughs> like, it's not going to happen. I can watch Northwestern football every single Saturday from Nashville. Right. You. I mean, I don't have to. I can watch every game. I mean, if you would have told 20 years ago, that's a great example. Yes. That in Nashville, you could watch every Northwestern game. Yes. Uh, that's what I can do. What a country. Wildcats, unite in, in the 615. Um, okay. Right. I got Mitch, and, Mitch and Bellevue, you're back up. Two part. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You've been me. on hold a long time. <laughs> thanks for having me. I'm a loser. I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> Clearly. So hold. Uh, two part question. I realized, I saw on the, uh, on the internet the other day that Athlon Sports. If it's on the internet, it's true. And then Athlon Sports released its top 10, co- it's 130 coaching. Uh, out of your top 10 list, name the coach, and I've got it right here. Name the coach. It's not my top ten list. Well, our top list. Name the coach who is most likely to jump to the NFL at some point, and just quickly go. So, the, so, so Saban, Myers, Dabo, uh, Chris Peterson, Gary Patterson, Jimbo Fisher, Mark D'Antonio, James Franklin, Jim Harbaugh, Kirby Smart. Well, one of them's already been a head coach in the NFL, so it's hard not to point to him. Chip Kelly, obviously. Jim Harbaugh. Chip Kelly's 12th. Oh, yeah. so okay, he doesn't sorry. Technically I don't have the list in front of me because I gave it to you. Um, David Shaw's long been rumored. He's 11th. Long been rumored to be connected to the NFL, but has never really kind of entertained the overtures. What number is Lincoln Riley on there? Uh, Lincoln Riley is like number – I had him really high, like yeah. 17. He's 26th on Lincoln, this list. There's been a lot of Lincoln Riley buzz lately. There has. Um, 
So I think James Franklin. I think James Franklin football coach, but you, I think James names but, out there. But James Franklin loves James Franklin, and so I think James Franklin would want to see James Franklin's <laughs> name in lights, where it says James freaking Franklin in like New York or something. Like I could see James Franklin doing that. Jimbo Fisher strikes me as someone that may may be interested. I don't think Urban Meyer ever wants to. I don't think Dabo wants to. I think Chris Peterson doesn't. Just he just it's not his personality type. I could see Gary Patterson doing it at the end of his. He's like, man, I've been here 20 years at TCU. I've taken him as far as I can take him. I'm going to try something different, and maybe he does something different. So Okay. Um, but I think Franklin would be my, my my top pick there. Okay, part two of this question. Which coach on that top ten list is most likely to leave for another college job? Now, don't say coach another college team because they go to the NFL and they get fired and they come back to college. Every single one of these gigs is destination. Okay. but um, it, Except for Gary Patterson. At TCU, but he's also had so many opportunities to leave, and he has not done it yet. Why would he leave? I, I don't. Mark D'Antonio is not going anywhere, even though Michigan State isn't necessarily a blue blood program. It's pretty stinking good. So, and uh, there's some baggage there. Certainly, um, Michigan alma mater. You know, Penn State's James Franklin's homeland. Uh, you know, Georgia's is alma mater. Kirby Smart. I think Chris Peterson. You could make the case. You could jump from Washington to a. But he seems a like a Texas perfect fit or for him. a USC, but like he doesn't like the fishbowl. He likes being a little obscure, even though complaining about it from time to time. Um, I, I, in theory, this is interesting. In theory, the answer to this question could be Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, oh, Alabama. to Alabama. Yes. But that would be a very specific and unique situation, and I don't think he wants to do it, frankly. Sorry, Alabama fans. I think he wa- he wants his own Bear Bryant statue that says Dabo Sweeney on it. BYOG. Right outside of the Death Valley. Okay, that's interesting. That's good. good. I got one that's more a fun question. Exercise. Do I have one more? Do we have time for uh, one more? Yes, I've got one. Okay. And then, but you go ahead. You go ahead and finish. I'll give you mine. Okay, later. Braden. I've heard you guys that listen. Love the podcast, Braden. Listen to it all the time. Rate, review, subscribe. Okay, uh, Braden, two star. That other guy, five star. Um, you guys talk a lot that's about rude. national title DNA programs that you believe have oh. national title DNA. They have all the makings to win a national. We title. do access to players. History, resources, money, all that good stuff. All that's the Which DNA. Which program? Those are your chromosomals. That's <laughs> <laughs> not a word. Which program <laughs> do you think that currently doesn't have national championship oh, DNA can can acquire that DNA? Like, I just watched, rewatched Jurassic Park with the family the other day. Dino DNA. Yeah, like, what <laughs> if little they, mosquito? Yeah, they put some, or the little barbersaw kit. What if they someone escapes, takes some national D- championship DNA from their campus? And gotcha. They, you inject a little, uh, yeah, inject a little Alabamasaurus Rex <laughs> <laughs> into somebody else. Um, this is a great question because there's a few answers that I think, I think there's some clear hurdles for a couple of these programs, and I just don't. I, Oregon is my first response. Like Oregon is the one that that to me stands out as a program that doesn't have national title DNA, but they've also been to two national championship games this decade. So it's hard like it's hard do they count is my question. Does Oregon count as a program with national title DNA? They've been to two national title games, but they haven't won a national championship ever, right? Like have they ever won a football? I would say I, don't I know they won a basketball in like I, the 40s. I would I would include Oregon football with national championship DNA right now. Okay. I think they've acquired the DNA. Does UCLA count? Yes. Okay, so they so that meaning they already have the DNA. Yes. They already have the Alabama Source Rex DNA. Yes. Okay. Virginia Tech. That's a board we've talked about this and I don't remember where we came down. We've talked specifically about I don't the think SEC. they have national championship DNA. 
I think they are the the again. How, okay, how much they can are they my, grow? They they, are, they've grown from obscurity to where they are now. Can they take that next step? They they are literally the the namesake of my next tier of teams, which is the Michael Vick level of teams. Like if you get a transcendent player, you are good enough to then compete for national championships. But you need a transcendent generational player. Wisconsin is on that list for me. Um, I don't think Michigan State would be high on the list of teams that I don't think have national title DNA, but could absolutely win a championship. And I think I think Michigan State's probably right at the top. Different of that question. List. Not not can they win a championship, can they elbow their way into the that, right. can they can they be there year I don't think Wisconsin out? will ever do it because of the recruiting base. What about Michigan State? It's a I mean, tough, it's a different a thing tough to recruiting say, base. Could they too. do it or will they do it? I Obviously think, I think Virginia Tech, because it's so close to so many different fertile recruiting grounds, it, it's a couple hours from Ohio, you can get down into the southeast. I think Virginia Tech is very, very much what about South Carolina? Yeah, that's a really good one. 80,000 plus to watch a bunch of bad football for decades. <laughs> and all of a sudden they're sort of, you know, for 15 years they've been good relative to their own level of success. I, South Carolina is very much that level. Texas A&M hasn't won anything, but they absolutely have national championship We've, we've DNA. talked about that. They, they um, do. West Virginia. West Virginia is also – There's a lot of DNA would, in West Virginia. I would <laughs> – You mean – you mean DNA is not all that different from each other is what you're saying? No, I think West Virginia is very similar to Wisconsin in that the recruiting base will always hold them back to some degree. You just have There's just not enough people. But there's also a tradition there of competing for national titles twice. Uh, yeah, they've, been in the, they've been in the ballpark. They had Major Harris, and that was about it. I mean, even Pat White's team didn't get there. Um, Pittsburgh. I think the Pittsburgh ship has sailed. Pittsburgh is sort of – yeah. They had some great decades. They're, they're, and again, this also goes to population trends leaving the state of Pennsylvania. You're not going to get, you know, the quarterbacks that Pitt had in the 70s, for example, along with Tony Dorsett and Hugh Green. Like, that's just not going to happen anymore at Pitt. You're not going to recruit like that. So, but well, that's Sean McCoy. Also because the history of, of, of the population of the state of Pennsylvania is, is pretty, you know, it's been covered. Um, it's, there, people are departing the area. In a, okay, in a I got one rate. more for you. Um, oh, Arizona, team, you mean? Arizona State. Yeah. Big population base. A little yeah. bit of history. Mm. A lot of no, Herm. A lot of Herm. I don't think they – I don't think – Michigan State, Oregon, Virginia Tech are my top three. Um, South Carolina's a good one. NC State, if it ever built – because they've got some pretty passionate fans and a good recruiting base. If, if NC State ever had a long, sustained run of 10 win-plus seasons, which they, I think they've only had one in their entire career, right, Phillip Rivers? season it, nc state's one of those that has all some of the making some of the, the foundational dna that you're talking about right that's what makes wisconsin so frustrating is that they have such great fans and such a great stadium and such an awesome campus and an awesome place to a like, recent strong tradition tons of winning there's just no players you you you, you draw a six-hour circle around madison you're not finding players you got to go to texas and florida and california to get players um, that, and that's the problem with a lot of those 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 programs that's a good question i like that though but it's the same teams we sort of talk about yeah and I'm, I'm going to say Oklahoma State is has got a chance to grow. they got great boosters, great fans, close proximity to good recruits. Oklahoma State's probably on that list. It's all the same teams, that, that, that second tier, the middle class, the upper middle class of college football. Uh, all right. So I don't know if you saw this, but officials, this is Braden in, in East Nashville again. Oh, um, okay. Thanks for calling. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, really love the show. The... The I think the NBA did they had they had officials t- live tweeting during the yes. NBA Finals games. So I don't know if you saw that. I did. Uh, so there obviously is one team that's working the game, and then they had other 
full-time, actually active officials live-tweeting calls during the game. Interesting concept. So, at first I was going to say, well, I want to know what my favorite podcast host, Mitch Light, second favorite podcast host, has to say. What would he say to live-tweeting officials during college football games if there's, like, the national championship games going on and it's this other crew from the Big 12, let's say, and then you have, like, the best ACC crew just live-tweeting the game. That, that was what I was going to ask. I'm not asking that question. Okay. You can answer that one if you want. It's kind of a two-parter. Okay. But the you, don't, real, you don't call talk radio. My real you, question? You'd be I've cut off literally never, I've literally never done it. Um, my real question is you can change one on-the-field rule in college football. What would it be? Fumble the ball out of the end zone. It's yes! a touchback. Stupidest. It's the most. Yes, it's punitive. It's the most punitive rule in sports, which. In which the defense does absolutely nothing sometimes. I mean, you could strip the ball. I mean, you can, like. I said sometimes. Yeah. It's just basically going from. I could just. It's the stupidest rule. I could just be. I could just putz and futz and flummox my way out of bounds, and then you get the ball. There and was a rule that ridiculous. I hated e- equally as much, which has been changed now. It was in the NFL. I don't think it was in college. It was the when the officials could look at the sidelines and call someone inbounds if they got pushed out of bounds that they would have landed inbounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that one was got changed. So stupid. Yeah, that one got changed. The rule is to You're prevent either the guy from catching <laughs> right. the ball inbounds, right. and you did it. No, exa- no, I'm with you. I'm with you. So here's my question then to follow this up real quickly as it sort of spurs conversation because I agree with you. That's the obvious one for me. Um, if you could change the pass interference rule to be the NFL rule, would you do it? No. If you could change the one-foot-down rule – to two feet like the NFL, would you do it? No, I like it. If you could change the clock stopping after first downs like the NFL, would you change it? Yes, except the last two minutes. Or three minutes or five minutes or something. I like, like the college version of all three of those rules. So I, I like. I think the game would move quicker in the, like, who cares at this seven or eight minute mark if in the second that, quarter. Okay. So I'd say in the last How about three last minutes. five minutes of the first half, last five minutes of the second half? Perfect. Okay, I can, get, I can yeah. get on board with that. Because it does allow for comebacks. I mean, that's the whole point is to make it more amateur, right? Right. Like one foot down and, you know, whatever. Fact, you know, in, in like our, 15 yards. It's not in this magazine. In our um, coordinator roundtable, that was the one thing Bob Shoup brought up about too many stoppages of the clock, too many plays, too many injuries. You know, college football, there's like sometimes 100 snaps because clock stops on first downs. We're worried about all these guys getting injured. Well, when you're on the field for uh, 90 defensive snaps as opposed to 75, you're going to get hurt more. Okay. Is that our mailbag? Good mailbag. Yeah, some good questions. Thanks we, for we will We will do an actual mailbag at some point this summer where we just solicit questions from you guys out there, and we'll just answer everything we can. Speaking um, of punitive calls, were you watching – you might have been on the air. Were you watching the Oregon State-Arkansas so, runner interference game play? So, no, and I don't want to talk about that. Um, I, what I want to talk about with Arkansas and Oregon State is something more serious. Okay, but – I was talking about something. I know. Just cut me off. I, I'm, that's because we we're already running late, and we're out of time, and our audience doesn't really care about college baseball. I su- I, some do. We do. You and I do. We love college I baseball. I love college baseball. Um, game two of the World Series was super awesome. It was special. But I, I do want to – I'm glad you brought it up because we don't have a lot of time. I'm glad I brought it up, but you, know, but you want to talk about Yeah, because I didn't see it. So I don't okay. know. So I can't really comment on it. Um, but I do want to – we're going to lighten the mood at the end of the podcast here in a minute, and it'll be we'll talk about Netflix and maybe your daughter milking official visits like a Hawaii football recruit. Well, unofficial visits would do because we'll, so we we'll, have to pay for them. So we'll we'll get to that. But I do want to I, I want to I'm not going to yell about Pat Casey, the head coach of the Oregon State baseball team. 
I'm not going to – like, I don't believe that Luke Heimlich, the pitcher for Oregon State, should be representing his university in the College World Series. I don't think that that is right. I think he deserves the opportunity for an education. If you don't know what happened, you can go read about it. I can't I can't rehash the entire thing for you here. But I, I am sort of qualified to discuss one thing, and I thought I would take the opportunity to really present something positive for people out there to learn and take with them. I'm a new father of two, two daughters, and I – I'm on the board of a child sexual abuse charity here in Nashville that is sort of, we're very proud that we are sort of the gold standard for taking care of sexually abused children. And so I thought instead of screaming about... Why don't you give the name in case anyone wants Our Kids, uh, OurKidsCenter.com is the website. Our Kids is the name of the organization here in Middle Tennessee. And um, they it's like, it's the most amazing group of people I've ever been around. And But what you learn as a part of this organization is a few things that help you as a parent. So I thought instead of screaming about how Pat Casey shouldn't be starting this guy, I, I'm just going to give parents and people some some quick pieces of data and advice to help with your children. So I know this has nothing to do with college football, so thank you guys out there for bearing with me on this. First and foremost, and this speaks to the story of, of Luke Heimlich and the Oregon State pitcher, number one biggest thing for you as a parent and for anybody in your community is to 100% always believe the child. That's it. It is believe the child, a five or a six or a seven-year-old does not know how to make this stuff up. They do not come to you and lie about stuff. In fact, they sometimes don't even know it's a bad thing. So number one, always, 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 always trust your children. Uh, if they tell you something, it is real. They are not lying about it. Um, 95% of the children that we treat and uh, that are children that are abused are not abused by strangers. It, stranger danger isn't a thing, so it's important to know that. Um, it's a good tool to know that if something like this happens in your life, it's probably somebody, you know, somebody close to you. And that's hard to deal with. That sucks, but it's true. Um, one in four girls will be abused before the age of 18. One in seven boys will be abused before the age of 18. Um, half of our children that we see are under the age of seven, which is really terrifying to hear. Um, but there are really, really great resources for parents, myself included as a new parent, to learn about this stuff and to help build lines of communication with your children. There are rules and really kind of tricks, right? Things that you can do to make sure your children are safe online, to make sure your children are safe in uh, with family, you know, when they're going to stay at other people's houses. There's a lot of different scenarios, and our Kids Center does a great job. There's tons of information. Check out the website, ourkidscenter.com. If it, it's, it, they're an amazing group of people, and if it's one, if it's, if one person listening or one family listening or one parent listening gets anything out of this, then it's worth it for me. Um, so go check out the website. There's more data. There's more resources. There's all kinds of tools that you can learn on how to prevent this type of stuff. And then, unfortunately, if it happens, how to deal with it. So it's um, – I, I think the, the one thing that struck me with the Luke Heimlich thing from Oregon State was that this six-year-old girl told her mom, the bottom line is you believe the kid. Just 100% believe the kid. That is the rule that we operate with because – that, that's that's the way it works. So, all right. Just wanted to get that off my chest a little Thank bit. Thank you. Interesting. Um, read up on it, man. It's really, it, it's it's so helpful as a parent. Like I learned as so much, I've learned so much on how to be a good parent. Open lines of communication, the words that you should use. There's a lot of really easy stuff you can do to really have a, not only just a better relationship with your kids, but protect them from a lot of really awful stuff that's out there in the world. So um, check it out. The numbers are pretty staggering. Uh, like I said, one in four girls, one in seven boys will be, uh, sexually abused before they're 18. It's a pretty awful number. Um, all right. So 
That aside, let's got, lighten the mood a little bit. You got a few Netflix shows for me? Yes. A um, couple of Netflix shows. Two that you need to watch. One, Evil Genius. Okay. Got to watch Evil Genius. Um, former host of this podcast, I have not yet gotten his thoughts on this because he's married into a family. Of Evil Geniuses. Uh, no? That is from oh. Erie, Pennsylvania. Oh. So this is all about a very small town in Pennsylvania and the guy who had a bomb strapped around his neck that robbed a bank. Was it was it him or was it somebody else? Four-part documentary. Okay, four-part's good. You can dive it's, in. Yeah, but and they're like 45 yeah. minutes each. You can be done in like a day. And it is... Or you can be done in like two and a half hours. Super crazy. Okay. Super awesome. Uh, my is, wife and I David got Fox into it. in it? No, but I have yet to talk to him about it because I want to find out because I'm assuming his in-laws were all over this because it's a very small town and it was a very high-profile case that happened in a very small town. I'm saying Fox did it. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm so, not sure the documentary uh, solves who did oh, it. <laughs> so, new lead, <laughs> Erie, Pennsylvania. New lead for you there. Um, so, it, it, check that one out, Evil Genius, and then Staircase. Okay. Watch Staircase. I've, I've see, what is it about? It, it is... I've seen it, like, I'm flipping around looking for a uh, we, So, we, sta- we started, like, the first half hour. So, we have not... It's 13 parts. It's a lot more. Okay. It's, it's a deeper endeavor. Um, and it's the same kind of thing. It's the same like making a murder, um, all these docu, like serial, the okay. podcast. Like it's in the, it's cut from the same cloth as all that. And it's, uh, it's very, very good. We've only watched like a little bit of it, but so far it's very good. And we've, m- all the recommendations we've gotten for Staircase are that it's better than Evil Genius. And so we love, start with Evil Genius. And we loved Evil Genius. So we started with Evil Genius because it's shorter. It's only four parts as opposed to 13 parts. So we did that. So. Might, I would say I might start it tonight, but you got to watch college baseball because yep. you start couldn't catch a pop-up. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, go Hogs. Um, so, your is your daughter, who is incredibly intelligent, is going to have a great education and be an unbelievable productive member of society one day, is she sort of like Hawaii Hawaii's football recruits? How many campuses has she visited so far? Uh, Total campuses. Well, not not a ton yet. Vanderbilt, which is right across. The you street. don't have to say all the names. Okay, one, if you don't want to. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's like six more than I visited. Okay, I think I visited Auburn, Georgia Tech, and Virginia Tech. I think that's it. And you went to none of them. <laughs> I went to none of them. <laughs> um, so like seven. Okay, and, and she's, she's on her way to she's her. She's a eighth. rising senior. She's a rising senior coming up this fall, and she's going to her eighth school this weekend. Next weekend. Coming up, ne- coming up soon. Yes. She's going on a visit. Fear the wave. And the question is, how many of those schools were legitimately in the running? And is she milking this for a journey and a free trip out of you, not free for you, to go to, let's say, I don't know, New Orleans? I would say no, because this was my idea, because we're going to the beach in Alabama, and it's a nice short drive over, and I've got okay. family in New Orleans. So I can see some family have not been there in several years. She wants to go visit the University of Miami and the University of Southern California. And Oh, yeah, well, yes. that's really milking it. Yes. I'm like, whoa. I said, no, you can apply. If you get in, <laughs> we'll then, you start, then you can go look at them. But we're not taking a family trip. So USC trip. and the U. Yes, we're not taking a family. You know trip. that Miami's private and costs a lot of money, right? <laughs> well, all the schools we're applying to that's are true, private. That's but true. There's something called need-based financial aid, which you'll learn about in about. No, no, and it's actually years. something that uh, more communities need. That's so. great. Um, so um, I would say no. Although you know she's not a college football fan at all, and she's very interested in Miami and USC. So maybe there's. I mean, they are phenomenal. 
schools. Yeah, they're good so schools. It's, it's, so um, I, I will defend Zoe in this case. She's not uh, okay. She's not taking advantage of because you know how Hawaii works, right? Like they have yes. to say no to like Joe Five Star because they're like you just want a free trip to exactly Hawaii. So your daughter's not just looking for a handout to go to New Orleans because that would be fun to right. just have dad take me to family. New it's Orleans. Like she's, you know, I don't know. It's just still fun though. Yeah. It's still a great place to go visit. So, okay. All we, right. We will. Uh, All right. We'll be gone. We'll, we'll be. A, we'll have to like plan ahead. Something we're usually will not very good at. Will she have a hat ceremony where she narrows it down with you and your wife and just sort of announce it to you guys and maybe the cat? Uh, well, Buttercup will be making the final decision. It's her decision. So <laughs> I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zoe has abjugated <laughs> yes. authority. Yes. Um, Buttercup be like, you're going to. Is there final? Are there fi- You don't have to say them, but are there finalists? It's too early. Too early. Okay. It's Way too early, early in the it's, process. Yes. It's. I okay. mean, she is not even starting to apply. You, you start applying in the fall. Oh, okay. And then you, you know, there's some early, you apply early decisions, some places, okay. early okay. action. There's a lot of early. Enro- she could early enroll. You get started with spring practice. She could. Okay. What if she decides to graduate early and just shows up like shows up <laughs> on campus? I don't. I don't know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Are football players the only ones that do that? <laughs> yeah. Or the regular Mar- Doogie Howser yeah. does, that, does that? I don't know. Um, Doogie Hauser was a very early enrollment. <laughs> Extra early. Extra. An EEE. Yes. Um, all right. We know, I know we've gone a little long here. We do appreciate you guys, and partly because I had some stuff to get off my chest. So I, I thank you guys for uh, humoring us and, and giving us a, a few minutes of your time. Again, ourkidscenter.com, and L- you, can, you can really learn some really good stuff there. So check it out. let us know who had better questions, Mitch from Bellevue or Braden from East Nashville. Um, if you know anything about Nashville – one of those is way more like organized and structured and probably on top of business than the other one. That would be the Bellevue area. <laughs> I'm allowed to talk. I'm allowed to talk about how slow things are in East Nashville. Um, all right. Anything else? Thanks for listening. Uh, we've got a mailbag coming up soon, and we've got our dream college football road trip. We did it last summer. Got a lot of positive re- reviews on that podcast last year, so we're going to do that again this year. A lot of people were very jealous of some of the great destinations that I chose. Yeah, like what? Michigan State and Iowa, I think you chose, maybe. Why would you not want to go see that game? Two pretty good teams, I guess, yeah, last year. thank you. Thank All right, you. listen, uh, 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 rate, review, subscribe. Follow him on Twitter, at Athlon Mitch. You can follow me, at Braden Gall. Thanks for listening to the Athlon Sports Cover 2 Podcast. Thank you.